morning once again. Yes, you guys are in for a treat this morning. I'm realizing as I'm getting up to preach that I have left my notes in my office. So uh, hopefully, um, the, hopefully these are committed to memory as much as I as much as I think that they are, and hope that they are. Uh, if you have young children, you know this pattern of life. Or if you just like Disney movies, who is a fan of Moana? Moana. Hey, Ben. Ben Edwards. Ben. Benjamin. Do you want to see Moana? We live. We live in Moana, don't we, Ben? What does, what does Maui say? Yeah, Maui says, make way. Thank you so much. You're saved now. Uh, uh, yeah, and he goes, chee-hoo. Well, we live, something like that, right? We live in the story of Moana. And as I spent time this week in the prayer that Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17, I couldn't help but hear parts of the story of Moana. If you're not familiar, this is a young girl whose ancestry uh, and family tree was, a, uh, uh, was filled with a heritage of adventurers. And she spends this movie trying to find who she is in her own story. Along the way, she helps restore all of creation. You can just call Moana Jesus if that's helpful for you. Uh, but uh, Carson, do we have that? Are we ready to play that clip? Here's, I want you to watch this. Why do you hesitate? I don't know. I know a girl from an island. She stands apart from the crowd. She loves the sea and her people. She makes her whole family proud. Sometimes the world seems against you. The journey may leave a scar. And scars can heal and reveal just where you are. The people you love will change you. The things you have learned will guide you. And nothing on earth can silence the quiet voice still inside you. And when that voice starts to whisper, Moana, you've come so far. Moana, listen. Do you know who you are? Who am I? I am a girl who loves my island And the girl who loves the sea It calls me I am the daughter of the village chief We are descended from voyagers who found their way across the world They call me I've delivered us to where we are I have journeyed farther I am everything I've learned and
we can conquer the world. Oh, yeah, that was... Yep, she's going to freak out now because it's not... A... Don't worry, Ben, you'll have to be like a few other parishioners. Leave now and come back in about 15 minutes. We've got another Moana clip for you, okay? Uh, uh, I want to leave that there for you uh, to think about. It's an image that came to my mind as we track Jesus in the book of John. And uh, he's on his way towards crucifixion. And in the 17th chapter, right before he's handed over to the authorities, right before he's crucified, Jesus stops and prays in the garden. And he prays um, to his heavenly Father. Today's text comes to us in the middle of this prayer. If you would find uh, your scriptures, open your Bibles or your apps on your phone to John 17, verse 6. John 17, verse 6. Jesus is praying here, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I've passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world. But for those you have given me, because they belong to you, all who are mine belong to you. And you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except for the one you know who. Now, I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. I'm just hoping you know who you are. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they may be sanctified in your truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's three things that pop out to me in this text, at least this week, 
as I read it. There are three things. There was the prayer that Jesus prays for glory, for glorification. Father, may your glory be made known. I have glorified myself so that you may be glorified. You have glorified me so that they may see your glory. May they stick and be kept and be protected by the glory of your second thing, name, by your name. And third thing, May they be sanctified. So I sanctify myself so that whoever hangs out with me would be sanctified in you. The three things that popped out to me this week are glory, our name, and sanctification. Glory. It's all through the book of John. It's a theme of John's talking about glory. What it brings back is images of the tabernacle. And you might know uh, in your own Bible study that the tabernacle to the people of God, to the country of Israel, to the Jews, the tabernacle represented what? Does someone want to just say what it, what it represents? What did the tabernacle represent? It represented the presence of God. All right, so all you mothers, okay, all you women in there, all women, I want you to say presence. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, yeah, that was bad. Let's do it again. Like you mean it, all right? Say presence, okay? As if the presence of God is here right now, okay? One, two, three. Presence. Yeah, it's a little better. You'll wake up here by the end. It represented presence. And so when Jesus kneels down in the garden to pray his prayer for his disciples and for us, for those that would come to the Lord through the disciples, he's praying for you in this prayer. What does Jesus mean by glory? He means the very Shekinah, the very special and sacred presence, the very glory that God experienced or that Jesus experienced with the Father in uninterrupted relationship. The glory of sitting in the presence of the Father. You've got to think, man, John, the author of John, as many of you know, when he begins his gospel, he begins it the same way that Genesis begins it. That when John is writing this story of Jesus, he can't help but connect it to the very beginning. And so this whole prayer starts with Jesus looking up into the heavens, just like the psalmist David. As if John is trying to communicate that at some point, this union that Jesus shared with God in the very beginning. Now remember that the Word was with God and the Word was what? God. So in John's mind, from the very beginning, Jesus was with communion and divine presence with the Father. But yet when he comes to earth, this constant connection had somehow been interrupted by his full humanity. And so he looks at the beginning of this prayer, he looks up to heavens the same ways that the psalmist David looked up into heavens to pray for the coming of the Lord. And so Jesus looks up to the Father, I wonder... As Jesus begins to pray for glory, if what what Jesus is praying for is what life was like in the very beginning, when the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word 
sat in the living room of heaven in God's overstuffed recliner. It's beige. It's big enough to fit two full-size human beings. And Jesus would kick it back. Oh, his father would come into the living room. Never mind that I'm imagining my own parents' living room. Okay. Father would come into the living room and say, Son, you're sitting in my chair. Get out. <laughs> and Jesus would mosey on over to the uh, thrift store green recliner that's falling apart. Uh, but you throw an afghan over that, as mom has taught us, and it saves it, okay? And so Jesus floats on over, I don't know what you do up in heaven, uh, walks on over to the green recliner, sits, and the father sits in the overstuffed recliner, and the son sits in the green recliner, and together they soak and bask in each other's presence. I wonder if when Jesus begins to pray, and he's praying for what? He's praying for glory, which is another word for presence. That what he's praying for is the very memory that he has when the world was begun. And see, when God created the world, I'm really testing your biblical knowledge here, but when God created the world, he created two human beings. What were their names? Adam and Eve. And what did Adam and Eve do in the garden with God? They walked, which is another way to say you have presence, right? Come on, spouses. Come on, boyfriend, girlfriends. What is the favorite thing you do with your significant other? (laughs) Right. That's another theological principle. Not alive in this text, but all throughout the Gospel of Luke walk. I don't know if that's your favorite thing to do or not, but it's probably some people's favorite thing to do, just to walk with their significant other, to walk with the one that they're spending time with, to walk with your best friend, to walk with your child, to walk with your parent, to walk with your loved one, to walk with your dog. Maybe that's whom you really love in this world. And there's something so precious about walking, so much so That when Jesus prays, he prays that we may experience again the cool walks in the garden with the Father. When he prays for glory, what is he praying for? He's praying for that uninterrupted relationship, that constant divine presence. You ever feel like that when you go home? Some of you come from homes in which you don't want to visit. Your comfortable places are other images in your mind. For me, man, I've got three places I would know rather I would rather be than I would rather be there than anywhere else. And those three places are in the living room I just described. That's my mom and dad's living room. The green couch isn't that bad. It is saved by an Afghan, but it's not that bad. I I, I would love to be there. I would love to be anywhere Jenny is. And I would love to be anywhere that my two best friends, Dane and Jake, are. Wherever Dane and Jake are, I can be myself. I love it, man. You know why I can be myself, Mark? Because I don't have to talk. And you're thinking over there, man, you talk all the time. I actually don't like to talk all the time. But when I'm with people that I'm not fully myself in front of, I get nervous. And this is, my, uh, this is how I deal with insecurities. I don't shut up. <laughs> yeah. And so it wears me out. I don't always like to be the front man. I don't know else how to be. Uh, And so when I'm around groups of people that I haven't yet fully released myself to just be myself, I tend to dominate the conversation. But when I'm around Jenny, when I'm around, yes, I talk some. She'll tell you that I talk some. I get on kicks. 
But there's other times where we can just sit and not say a word. And your presence, babe, is everything to me. Love it. Jake's presence is everything. We can go to McCoy's and just sit there and not say a word and just look into each other's eyes. It gets awkward. He's just my best friend. <laughs> Dane's the same way. Ask me sometime when I'm not preaching what Dane said to me, and I'll tell you, it's hilarious. Dane and I are just best friends. We just love each other. And when I'm around him, it's something about his presence. He doesn't have to say anything. Sometimes we'll see something on TV or mention something in passing, and it will remind us of a memory, and we'll just laugh and laugh and laugh. There's something about spending time with my dad as he uh, claims he watches TV but sleeps and has a recliner right on his belly. And if you were to grab that recliner and change it from NASCAR to something that's actually remote, what I say? Dad, now listen. Dad's a big guy. He ain't that big. The remote. And you grab the remote and you switch it to something that's actually interesting to watch other than NASCAR. Sorry, Roger. And, and Dad will wake up later, son. I was watching that. No, you, no, you weren't. But there's just something about being in the living room with Dad, you know. And I don't have to say anything. I don't have to prove anything to Dad. <laughs> Someone's dying out there. Uh, it's, uh, it's just comfortable. I think when, when Jesus prays for us, what Jesus is praying for is to be in the living room with his Father. Uninterrupted presence. Oh boy, don't you know this is glory? Do you know what the Father possesses? Not that Father. Our Father, our Heavenly Father. Don't you know that his breath His breath brings about life. That his presence (laughs) brings about healing. That his touch brings about restoration. Don't you know who the Father is? To sit with him isn't just about watching NASCAR. No, it's about living into the full purpose and potential of who you are. Don't you know who you are? What Jesus encountered was a people who had completely forgotten who they were. They talked to God as if he wasn't present. They they interacted with God as if he was so distant. As if he didn't live amongst them. As if he didn't walk amongst them. And so Jesus began to use a different name for God. He began to call Yahweh Father. And he's the first one to do it. If anyone else, and some people believe this is the very reason why Jesus was crucified, is because he began to talk to God as if God was a part of him. Called him Father. In a Jewish understanding, this language would be utterly offensive. But Jesus is trying to teach us something, not just about himself. He's trying to teach us something about who we are, about us. Because not only does Jesus pray for the living room presence of the Father to invade the earth, not only does he call him Daddy or Abba, it's much more comfortably translated Father, but he says, sanctify them. What might that word mean? I think it means something like hold them in me as you hold us in you. I will take KP unto my heart 
as you take me to your throne, as I ascend to the Father and I become the president of the cosmos and have my oval office in the heavens, with you as I oversee all the earth, as I ascend upon resurrection, I will take Donnie Bishop unto my heart as you take me onto your throne. Sanctify me as I spend time with Donnie so Donnie is sanctified in you. What line is Jesus establishing? What line is Jesus connecting? Oh, that's simple, Shelley. He's taking God's living room and giving it to you. And he's taking you and presenting you to the Father, placing you down in the green chair. Jesus sits on the other side. The Holy Spirit, I don't just hover. She's just there. Just, yeah, it's the chair. There you go. And God sits in the overstuffed recliner and together, Shelley, sanctification, what Jesus is doing is presenting you to your Father. Now ask for whatever you need. He's sitting right there. What do you need? Friends, you haven't forgotten, right? You haven't forgotten that this isn't a fairy tale. That God's name is not Maui, the demigod of wherever he's from. This isn't Santa Claus, right? You you are connected through a divine connection through Jesus' name to the Father. He's not some separate God that lives behind a curtain that you cannot possess, so you have to go through me in order to talk to him. No, 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 no. You can just talk to the Father, and the Father has all of the resources that were alive from the very beginning. Don't you know that what Jesus wants you to know about yourself is that you can walk in the cool of the garden with the Father again? So are you walking with him? How's your garden talks with the Father going? Are you allowing yourself to hear from the Father? He is speaking to you. Are you telling Him everything that you need? When I used to talk like this with the students of my youth ministry, I used to say these things. So now, no, adults, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking to teenagers, okay? Because you don't struggle with these things. But what I say what I would say to the teenagers is, hey, when you're smoking weed, do you talk to God and ask him? Because that's what you're asking me. You're saying, you're saying, hey, Pastor Jake, it's okay to smoke weed in Colorado. It's not okay to smoke weed in Kansas. Uh, that's separated by one border. So what does God think about that? Is it okay to smoke weed? And I say, okay, when you're smoking weed, parents hate it when I said this. When you're smoking weed, you should just ask God what he thinks. Or better yet, maybe even better, before you smoke weed to ask God what he thinks. Just ask him. Are you walking with the Father? Or have you already assumed you know exactly what the Father says and so the walking is not required? See, you don't struggle with sexual problems, just teenagers do. So I would say to teenagers, I would say, hey, I know that you love your girlfriend or boyfriend or you lo- uh, so much that you're ready to give your whole body to them. You know what? That's the best thing you could ever do. God loves sex. He made it for us. He thinks it's the best thing you could ever do. You should ask God what he thinks about you having sex with that person in this context of your life. You should ask him. But too busy, Pastor Drew. Too, too often, Pastor Drew, we don't ask, do we? We just assume. We already know what the Father thinks, right? So why go down to the living room and sit with your Father and talk to him and tell the Father what it is that you're going through when you know if you 
dare utter the words out of your mouth, the Father's going to backhand you across the cheek, right? When did we establish that the Father was so daggum bad that we couldn't talk to the Father about things of real life? The reason I bring those harsh those harsh examples to you is because all I'm trying to do, church, is to tell you that the Father is real. So talk to Him about real things. Or are you so afraid that the living room of heaven is so off to imperfect people that the moment you open up about your imperfect life that the God of perfection is going to backhand you across and so you never tell dad what's going on. Dad cares about your work. Dad cares about your relationships. Dad cares about your struggles. Dad cares about your addictions. There's not one thing that Jesus has made impossible for you to talk to dad about. So talk to him. He's not as scary as preachers like me have made him out to be. We talked in Sunday school today about um, uh, what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Were any of you ever raised with the image of the Lamb's Book of Life being like this terror book? And that when you get to heaven, God's going to open this book and it's going to have every bad thing you've ever done. Right? Right? Yes. Amen. Come on now. And then God will show. So in the generation I was raised in, movies were just coming to be a big deal. Okay? And so what they would say now, we, you know, now preachers around the country are probably saying, God has an iPad and he's going to flip through that. But when I was a kid, God's going to have a VHS tape of everything that you did wrong, and he's going to plug that thing in, and he's going to show it to you. Ah! Boy, if that's the father, no thank you. (laughs) Adam and Eve had it right when they got out of Dodge. (laughs) Who wants to be around that guy, Scott? We began to talk this morning, though, and just the stories were just beautiful. As Michelle led us in Sunday school, when we began to think about a guy who grabs a VHS tape, Okay, he's old-fashioned. And he slams that thing in there, and he begins to play a movie that looks a lot like Moana. Reminding you that he breathed over you and that you were created in the very image of him. That the VHS tape that will play over your life is the VHS tape in which a father, much like a mother, cradles you and holds you and cares for you beginning to remind you on your steps in which you misstep and walk in opposite paths of what God would intend, that he just comes to you much like Grandma came to Moana in a spirit and reminds you of who you are. What will it be like when we get to heaven? In the Lamb's Book of Life, it's not about judgment, but it's about life. What will happen when we get up to heaven and the father isn't some angry dad, some mad dad that's really ticked off about premarital sex, you know? But said, a God who is madly in love with his creation and who can't stop telling you who you are. I challenge you this week to read John 17 as the words that Jesus prays over you, connecting you to the very presence of God, to the name of heritage, and sanctifying you so that this is your journey. I want you to watch this last clip of Moana. 
before we move into a time of receiving the Eucharist. And if you haven't seen the movie, I'm ruining it for you. Throw rocks at me later. Um, what you'll see here is you'll see the story of someone who forgotten who they were and a young messenger traveling up to this person who had become so angry and so mad because they had no identity. They'd forgotten who they were. And she just kindly tells them, oh, don't you know who you are? Oh, friend, God is not angry at you. No, Jesus gave his life so that you might know who you are. And who you are is a child of God. And you have everything in heaven at your disposal. Oh, baby, watch out Lee Summit. Watch out Raytown. Watch out Belton. Wherever else it is you may live, watch out. Everything that God owns, you own. You're a child of his. Talk to the Father. Boy, does he love you. He loves you. Watch this clip. Let her come to me. you, Lord, for your gospel message through Disney, for reminding us that when you pray for us, you're connecting us to the Father. And so, Lord, I am beautifully Jake Edwards, and I'm also beautifully your child. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for connecting us to the divine throne. Father, we pray for this church for these people, for those that are sick, for my mother. Father, that your spirit would remind them this morning that they belong to you and that your grace and mercy is for them. And that your purposes for this world will one day utterly and forever defeat evil and death. That God is no longer an enemy of ours so we can live at peace with you. Father, I love you and I give you praise. Father, you are so good. Thank you for this church and these people and their neighborhoods. Father, thank you that it's this season of life that we get to live together. God, show us what to do. Lord, just show us what to do. As the psalmist says in 143, teach us how to do your will. God, just teach us. I'm done praying for you to show me your will. Just teach me how to do it. 
Just teach me how to do it, Lord. Teach us how to do it. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen.